where you can sit back and take a seat. Thanks, Jai. Thanks, guys. It's got to be back a little bit later. And uh, if you're joining us uh, tonight for the first time, as Emma said, my name's Chris. We're actually in part two of a series that we've been doing for the last, uh, we started it last week, uh, called The Bible for Normal People. And I'm going to be really honest up front. Um, we have an agenda. I have an agenda. Our team has an agenda with this series. And we let you know last week what our agenda was, but we want to keep reminding you so that you don't think like, where are these guys trying to take me? Uh, we wanted you throughout this series to read your Bible. That's it. It's that simple. Right? And I know some of you are probably like, yeah, but Chris, I don't believe the Bible. Right? And if that's you, I totally get that. Uh, we talked all about some reasons that maybe you don't believe the Bible, you resist it, you push back against it last week in part one. Uh, but maybe for you, you're, you're kind of someone and you kind of look at this and you go, well, Chris, I don't believe the Bible. You know, there's so many atrocities, there's so many evil things that are done in it, there's so many terrible things that are done in it. Um, but you've never read it. Like, so you've never read it, so you've really kind of got no idea. You've got the second or third hand. Um, I would, tell you, I would tell you, if you think there's all that stuff in there, read it and just find out anyway. Uh, maybe there are those of you who, um, who uh, you kind of grew up in church. You have some values and you have some morals. Maybe you went to a Christian school for a while. Maybe perhaps your parents were Christians, but, but now you're not. It never really connected with you. But, but there are some values that have shaped your life. Uh, and you know that those values are from the Bible. And you don't really know why you hold to those things, but you just know you do hold to them. Um, I think you should read the Bible so that you, should, you can figure out where you got those values from and, and if you want to continue with those values or not. Um, there are some of you in the room tonight, and uh, maybe you're, a follower, uh, you're probably followers of Jesus, this group of people. Uh, you know just enough about the Bible to be dangerous. Okay? Now, when I say that, uh, what I mean is uh, you kind of know a little bit about the Bible. You know some of the major themes. You know some of the major books. Maybe you can even like, quote a few verses. And you can kind of quote it to the point. Um, so people who know enough about the Bible to be dangerous, usually what they do is they have this ability to tell everyone else what the Bible says. But when it gets to their own life, when it gets to their own stuff, they've just got this ability to kind of like just know enough verses to explain why it doesn't apply to them. Okay? So you, they know enough about the Bible just to be dangerous. Okay? And then there's another group of you where you're kind of like, yeah, but... Chris, I don't really want to read my Bible because I come to beyond and maybe you go to another church and you're here tonight or you listen to a podcast and you go like, I got people like you in my life where you get up the front and you read the Bible to me. So I don't need to read my Bible because I got people like you and guys and girls like you who read it to me. And here's, if you're in that last group, here's, here's what I would say to you. Um, and here's one of the reasons why I love this place. There's so many reasons why I love this place. But one of the reasons why is because I don't want you to believe what I believe just because. I want you to believe and I want you to understand what you believe for yourself. And one of the great things about this community is, is we are so sold out here at Beyond for creating a church that unchurched people love to attend that we don't let our disagreements become divisive. In fact, you'll start to talk to followers of Jesus who are here and, and you'll discover that, that all of us believe mainly the same things about Jesus and mainly the same things about the Bible, but we might disagree on a couple of things. But that's okay because we have this thing called conversations where we, where we talk about it. And we don't allow our disagreements to become divisive. So I just think you should read the Bible so you figure out why it is you believe what you believe. And one of the major reasons, perhaps, that you're kind of looking at that, and, and it's intimidating, right? Let's be honest. It's in, it can be feel intimidating to want to pick the Bible up and read it because, let's be honest, the Bible is confusing. Right? If, if you're not a follower of Jesus, I understand why it's so confusing, okay? If you've been a Christian a while, maybe you've got used to it. But if you're not a, a follower of Jesus, 
Perhaps you, were, you went to one of your Christian friends and you said like, hey, I kind of want to read the Bible. Where should I start? I think I might start at the beginning. And usually Christians are like, no, 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 don't do that. You should, not start, at, you should start somewhere around the middle. Like, what kind of book do you start somewhere around the middle? Like, is this a choose-your-own-adventure book? Like, what is going on? And so the Bible is really confusing at times. And what I want to do in the couple of minutes that we have together is, essentially, I want to take something confusing and I want to make it simple for all of us. I want to, I want to make it simple. I want to help us to understand it. Really, um, I just want to help us make some sense of the Bible. Because right, a lot of the reason we don't read it is because it doesn't make sense to us. And so, to kind of get us all on the same playing field before we launch out, I, I, there's some things that we need to understand and, and we need to kind of be on the same page about if we want to make sense of the Bible. Um, the first thing is that the Bible isn't a book, it's a library. Okay, you ever heard Christians say, well, the Bible says, well, the Bible says you should do this, the Bible says this. Actually, the Bible doesn't say anything. Okay, because the Bible is a library. It is a collection of books. It's a collection of poetry. There's some history in there. Um, there's a whole. There's some biographies in there, and it's a library of documents that have been compiled together over a large period of time that are now put together. Does anyone? And this is scary, so you don't have to. If you're silent, you may, maybe you know the answer. But does anyone know how many um, documents or books are in this library? No, everyone's too scared. Okay, that's cool. 66. I, knew, I know that you guys knew it, but you were, you were too scared to say. There's 66 books in this library. And these, these 66 books are written by around 40 authors. Now, we say around 40 authors because we, we know pretty much uh, who all the authors are for a great deal of the books. Uh, but there are some, there are some um, particular documents where we're kind of like, well... It's got some similarities to one author that we know, and it's really, really similar in like almost 80% of it, but there's just some parts that, that are really, really unique. And maybe this author at this point in time decided to bring in a writing style, but it's just so unique that maybe they had a co-author. Maybe there was someone else writing this book, and so we like to say that there's around about 40 authors uh, who, who kind of put this collection of works together. The first author, his name was Moses. He started writing around 1400 BC. And then the guy who finished it, the last author that we have, uh, his name was Paul. He would have finished writing somewhere around 70 BC. So you've essentially got 66 books by around 40 authors compiled over a 1500 year period of time. And what's crazy is that when you put it all together, what you get is they all tell a single story. There is a single thread that when you look at these 66 books compiled by these 40 authors over 1,500 years, there is a single thread that weaves its way through every single one, and it's the story of redemption. It is the story of humanity that was created, but then kind of said, ah, thanks God, we got it from here. Thanks for, the, thanks for the kickstart, God, but, but we think that we know how to do things a little bit better than you. And it's the story of a humanity that turned, itself on, uh, turned its back on God. And when that happened, God didn't get mad and God didn't power up. But God drew near. It's the story of a king who was betrayed by his people and instead of exercising judgment, extended love. It's the story of a father who was betrayed by his children and instead of refusing them the inheritance, chose to extend grace. Really, it's your story 
and it's my story, and it's all about how God invites us to be a part of his story. That's the single thread that weaves its way through this library. But now that we're all on the same page, hopefully we've kind of moved, it's a little less confusing. One of the other big challenges, right, that we have when it kind of comes to understanding the Bible is just this, it's old. Right? It is old. When you think of when, when Moses, the first author, started writing, it's over 3,000 years removed from where we are today. And it is really, really old. So we're going to kick off, and I'm, I'm going to show you, hopefully, how to make this old, somewhat confusing thing simple. And I'm going to do that by kind of giving you a super bird's-eye view overview of this, this library of books. Now, this library, when you kind of start to open it, and the reason that followers of Jesus will tell you if you've um, kind of asked them where you should start is towards the middle, is because primarily this book is broken into two major sections, right? The Old Testament and the New Testament. Now, this word here, testament, it's not really a word that we use at all today, right? Um, you could translate that to covenant, but even then, like a co- covenant, that's not really a word that we use, like, unless you're building a house. Like there's a thing called a covenant when you build a house and for those of you who haven't built a house, you don't know, but essentially what the property developers and the builders do is they make you sign this piece of paper so that, so that when you build your house, it has to be a certain size. Depending on how, how detailed the covenant is, the front of your house might have to look a certain way. It might, your, uh, the front of your uh, driveway might have to be so far back from the edge of the road where you put your mailbox. There's all sorts of things in a covenant. Really, it's just an agreement. It's an agreement between you and the property developers and the builders to say, hey, we all agree that when we start construction, there's some rules that we're going to abide by. And the old agreement, it's actually not one agreement, it's like multiple agreements. It's agreements that God made with a specific nation. The Old Testament really is the history of one individual nation and it's the nation of Israel. And there's a whole heap of different agreements and there's a whole heap of different times throughout the nation of Israel's history where God makes agreements with individual leaders. In fact, chances are, if you grew up in church or Sunday school, um, you might know of some of these agreements. Like God made an agreement with this guy called Noah, and he said, hey, I'm not going to flood the earth ever again. Like, um, that was a bad idea. Like, I'm not going to do that again. He made an agreement with a guy called Abraham, and he said, Abraham, through through your family, there's going to be a whole lot of blessing that comes generation after generation will be blessed because of your family. And God makes that agreement with Abraham. And then there's an agreement that God makes with a king. His name was King David. He was the king of the nation of Israel. And God said, hey, David, what's going to happen is whoever is king of the nation of Israel from this point forward is going to be from your lineage. And super interesting, um, if you're a Bible nerd like me, Um, Because Jesus actually comes from the lineage. You can trace Jesus' family tree back and it has David in it. And so it's all these agreements that God makes between the nation of Israel and a group of people. And the New Testament is a new agreement. When Jesus comes, Jesus brings something brand new. And it's no longer an agreement between a specific nation. It is an agreement between the entire world. God says, no longer is this agreement just between me and Israel. This is an agreement that I'm going to open up and I'm going to give every single person the opportunity to be involved if they want to. And if they don't, that's okay. But I'm not going to keep this just to one group of people. 
anymore. And so that's kind of the two major the divides that when you, when you, uh, so when you open it up, you can go, oh, well, there's the old agreement and the new agreement. One's with the nation of Israel, one's with all of humanity. There you go, you've already learned something tonight. How cool is that? And so this one, this is kind of the confusing part, right? Because we often people, you open up and you start with the Old Testament. And here's the challenge if you've ever tried to kind of read the Bible. It's not chronological, right? It starts, it's divided, actually, it's divided into four brackets. And the way it's divided is law, history, poetry, and prophets. That's just when people were systematizing it, when people were putting it together, they were like, these are the groups that seem to make sense. We'll, we'll, put, we'll put the law group together, we'll put the history group together, we'll put the poetry group together and the prophets together. Why? Because they were all Israelites. They knew the chronological sequence. Like they weren't really thinking about, geez, I'm sure there's going to be a church in Marumba Downs in 2019, and it's going to be confusing for them when they pick it up. So here's what we wanted to do for you tonight. Stuck to your butts, probably, or on a chair next to you, there is a card. Okay, There is a card. Our team have put this together. They've done an incredible job. And it's going to come up on the screen as well. Um, <clears throat> and I want to show you what we've done is we've actually put the Old Testament in chronological order for you. We've put it together in chronological order for you so that if you want to pick it up and read through it, you can. And, and let me explain this to you because it's, it's how it makes sense to me. So I hope it'll make sense to you. Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, and along this way is essentially the Instagram feed of the Old Testament, right? This is the Instagram feed of the Old Testament. If you want to kind of get a snapshot of what someone's been doing throughout the last couple of years, you know, you just quickly scroll through Instagram and you see the photos. Like, oh, they went, to the, they went to the footy or they got married or they got engaged or they looks like they got out of that relationship because that person's not in the photos anymore. And you kind of get like the highlights. And this, if you follow this green path all the way along, what you will get is kind of a straight overview of the history of the nation of Israel. And you'll be able to track it. And then, then what you get underneath with some of these um, is you start to get what, we'd, what I'd call the journals. The journals of individuals, the journals of groups of people, and they give a new insight and insight into what was going on throughout the Instagram feed of the period of history. It's almost like you see the photo and you're like, I wonder what they were thinking. I wonder what they were experiencing. I wonder what they were feeling in that moment. And for some of these, we can actually pick up the journals of people and we can get a different perspective. And we can actually find out what it is they were thinking. Here, I'll give you an example. So you can see it up on the screen or if you've got it in front of you. Um, if you go to 2 Samuel, in 2 Samuel 11, we're introduced, there's this um, event that occurs with that David who I said God made an agreement with, uh, King David. King David uh, commits adultery with someone called Bathsheba, all right? So Bathsheba was married to Uriah, Uriah the, um, who was a soldier. David slept with Bathsheba. Okay, that happens in 2 Samuel. If you jump down into the Psalms, in Psalm 51, David writes a prayer. And in that prayer, you get, to, you get to feel the emotion. You get to feel the guilt, the regret, and the shame that David was feeling when he made this decision. And so you can dive in and see that down there. Here's another example. In 1 Kings, so 2 Samuel, next one across, 1 Kings, we're introduced to one of the wisest people that's ever lived. He built the nation of Israel to the height of its power. His name was Solomon. And if you go down underneath 1 Kings in red, it says Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon. 
these three are, sent, are, are Solomon's journal articles. And Solomon's written them in three very unique and three very different ways. And so you hear about Solomon in 1 Kings, and then in Proverbs, Solomon gives us all his wisdom. Solomon talks about leadership wisdom. He talks about relational wisdom. He talks about financial wisdom. He talks about a whole lot of stuff, and it's all gleaned from his experiences up here. Ecclesiastes is, is a book that he wrote talking about the futility of life without God. Because up here we see how big Solomon's kingdom was and how powerful and impressive it was. And then we jump into Ecclesiastes and we see at some points the emptiness that Solomon was feeling as he built this great empire. And the last one, Song of Solomon, that's the most explicit book in the entire Bible. Okay? In fact, if you're a Jewish boy um, and you were living in the nation of Israel, you had to get to a certain age before you uh, read it. Because this is essentially the sex talk book. And uh, Solomon figured out, I'm pretty wise, but I shouldn't put it in Proverbs. That's not general wisdom. I'll make a sex talk book. And so Solomon wrote Song of Solomon, uh, kind of, and talks about all that sort of stuff. And then this kind of timeline progresses, and it finishes, the nation of Israel's timeline finishes with that last book on the very end. It's called Nehemiah. And at the end of Nehemiah, above it, you've got these prophets, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi, and they're talking about, and they're speaking into the events that are happening in the time of the nation of Israel when Nehemiah wrote his book. And essentially what these three people are saying is, God's going to do something. God's going to do something. God's going to do something. And at that point, it went quiet. And it went quiet for actually 400 years. Because there's a space of 400 years from when the Old Testament ends to when the New Testament begins. And in this space of time, this is when we have the rise of the Persian Empire. This is when we have the rise of the Greek Empire. This is when we have the rise of the Roman Empire. And for 400 years, the people of Israel are waiting for this God to do more. I don't know about you, but like, you know when the YouTube ad comes on and it counts down and it's like skip ad in five, four, three. Like, I get annoyed then. I'm like, come on, move, 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 move. Like, I'm, I can't handle that five seconds. 400 years. To put that in context, Australia has been recognized as a nation for just over 100. Four times as long as Australia has been recognized as a nation, God went dark which means that children grew up in the nation of Israel hearing about the history, hearing about how God was going to come and God was going to do something and God was going to move. And they're sitting there, and I can imagine, like if I was born 300, 350 years in, I'd be thinking to myself, like, when are you going to give up on this? When are you just going to shelve this? When are you going to say that, that this is just like all the other myths that we've seen die? There's nothing to it. But then after 400 years, an angel appeared in a backwater town to a teenage girl called Mary. And he said, hey, God's going to do something new. And you're going to have a baby, and his name is going to be Jesus. Why would someone make that up? Because after 400 years, it would be easier to create a new religion. It would be easier to create a new movement. 
After 400 years, people were forgetting. People had forgotten. People had moved on. It would have been so much easier to just start something brand new. But instead, it continues. And in fact, the very last thing that's written in the Old Testament, in the book of that prophet Malachi, as he's pointing forward, he's saying, God's going to do something, God's going to do something, God's going to do something. He writes this. He says, look, I'm sending my messenger. Someone's going to make a, someone's going to let you know something's coming and he will prepare the way before me. Then the Lord you are seeking will suddenly, out of nowhere, as if you weren't expecting it, come to his temple. Then he says this, the messenger of the covenant, you learnt what that word is tonight, agreement, whom you look for so eagerly, is surely coming. And then after 400 years, and after an angel has spoken to a teenage girl, a loud, uncouth, smelly guy rocks up on the banks of a river called Jordan and starts saying, God's going to do something, God's going to do something, God's, God's got something brand new coming. And his name was John the Baptist. And everyone said, shut up, John, no, he's not. Like, no one was like, oh, wow, this sounds like, like this is seriously going to happen. No, people were kind of like, John, Come on, man, it's been 400 years, dude. Like, get over it. And there were, there were a small group of religious leaders who thought, like, ah, maybe there's something to it. And they, they called John in and they said, are you the person who's, who's going to do something new? Is it you? And he's like, no, 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 no. Like, I'm just, I'm just getting you ready for it. And they're like, get out of here, John. Like, you're crazy. And then one day as John's by the Jordan River, as he's talking to people, as he keeps saying, God's going to do something new. God's going to do something new. He looks up and over the crest of the hill walks Jesus. And John stops mid-sentence and he points at him and he says, this is the Lamb of God. You know how the nation of Israel, you know how you guys are always sacrificing stuff to get right with God? Well, this is the Lamb of God and he's going to take away the sin of the world. He's going to make it so you don't have to do any sacrifices anymore. He's going to be the pathway to connect humanity to God. This is the new that God is bringing. And that, that was what sparked and what ignited the New Testament. And <clears throat> I'm going to get preachy here for a second, so I apologize. Just me personally, right? You don't have to buy this, you don't have to believe this, but just me personally, here's what I believe. The fact that there is a New Testament is a miracle in and of itself. The fact that there is, because after 400 years, it should have been dead and buried. After what Malachi said, people should have moved on. People should have created a brand new religion. But after 400 years, John the Baptist rocks up, and then, the, and then Jesus arrives, and it reignites something that everyone had lost faith in. The fact there is one is just a miracle, in my opinion. All right, I'll get off my high horse. So if you open up the New Testament then and you kind of move to that part, the New Testament, like the Old, is kind of broken into these four sections. It's broken into the Gospels, which are the biographies of the life of Jesus. We actually have one written by Matthew, one by Mark, one by a doctor called Luke, one by Jesus' best mate, John. Jesus' best friend wrote an account of his life. There's some history about how the early church began to grow. There's some letters. And then there's uh, prophecy. There's one book. It's called the Book of Revelation. It comes right at the very end of the New Testament. Okay? Um, Jesus' best mate, John, he was exiled on an island called Patmos. And he had a vision of what he thought the future would look like. Um, and he wrote it down. And perhaps some of you think he might have been on that island too long. 
Um, and maybe that's why he had the vision. I don't know, maybe he did. But this is the chronological sequence of it. And it's on the flip side of your card. So if you kind of want to figure it out, if you want to read it, if you want to understand it, here's how you do it. It begins with the life of Jesus. And then, like I said, there's the history of the church. And this is kind of where the church exploded around the Mediterranean Rim, where it went from a group of, of scared men and women to thousands overnight. And then you can jump down and you can begin to explore, hey, well, when they started that church, you get to see a letter that was written to some of those churches. And you get to see some of the challenges that they were wrestling with and that they were working through. And then you can kind of move on, because um, then Paul, he's a big deal in the Jesus movement. Paul was in jail for a bit, and then he gets free, then he gets in jail again, and then Paul dies, and then the church begins to expand. And so you can kind of look at some of these letters that were written during Paul's time in prison that he wrote to letters to churches that he began, and you can look to some of uh, his me uh, mentees. Paul kind of had a group of people, that leaders that he was pouring into, and he wrote letters to them as well. And so now that you've kind of, I hope, got that card with you, you've got a little bit more of a handle on it. You know, if, you, if you've got a physical copy of the Bible, like take that card with you and stick it in your Bible so that if you kind of want to figure out, if you want to go for like a big overview, you can. If you want to read one of the journal entries, you can. And you can understand and you can know what you're picking up and you can know what was, is going on at the time that you're reading it. But, but where does that leave us? Where does that leave us tonight? Where does that leave us for the rest of this week? Well, I told you right at the outset that our agenda was for you to read your Bible. And so it comes as no shock that our application for this week, our full Monday is simply this. I just want you to read your Bible. I want you to read your Bible. And I understand that maybe some of you are like, well, Chris, I don't believe the Bible. Okay, <clears throat> is it that you don't believe it or is it that you don't understand it? Because those are two very different things. If you haven't read it, it's very difficult to believe something that you don't understand because you haven't read it in the first place. So, so is it the fact that you don't believe it or is it the fact that you're kind of like, well, I've heard things about it, but I've never read it, I've never explored it, and so I don't really understand it, so I'm kind of confused. If that's your pushback, then now I hope that you can understand it a little bit more. I hope that because of tonight, you can actually be begin to make sense of it and make up your mind for yourself. And if maybe your pushback to this is like, but Chris, it was written by people. It was written by people. For me, this is the biggest reason to read it, right? It was written, it's 66 books, written by over 40 authors, most of whom never met each other, who lived across a 1,500-year span of time in different regions across the world, and there was a 400-year gap in the middle. Yet the story picked up as if there was nothing ever, as if there was no pause at all. And despite this huge length of time, despite all these different authors, it tells one single cohesive story. The story of a God who drew near. So I would say, like, that's, that's the reason to read it. And so this week, we're going to make this, because this kind of thing is, like, big, and it's kind of like, ooh, that's scary. Like, where do I start? We want to make it really, really easy for you to start. And so we've actually kind of gone to another level. We don't have a four, just a four Monday. We have a for the week this week. Um, and if you want to, you know, if you're kind of, you can actually grab out your phone right now if you've got Instagram. You can go to our um, our Instagram page, at beyondchurchau. And what we're going to do, every single day, we're going to post 
one of these um, verses up there so that every single day uh, you'll be reminded to, to grab it. But in case you don't have Instagram, and um, we put this up so you can take a photo, or we actually have some of these cards at the back so you can kind of grab them, take it with you. But if you follow along with us for this week, we want to kind of give you a little taste. We want to kind of allow you to see what it's like and what's in there when you begin to read it. And so on Monday, um, you're gonna, uh, we're going to read the Ten Commandments. Some of you are like, well, what do the, the Ten Commandments say this and the Ten Commandments say that? And you can probably name like two of them, but that's kind of the maximum. Um, so we're going to let you know uh, A, where to find them, but B, what they are. You can kind of read them and you can discover it. Now, then on Tuesday, you're going to look at the uh, story and we're going to read the story of David and Bathsheba. We're going to find out um, how it is that David ended up committing adultery with Bathsheba. And then on Wednesday, we're going to read how a guy called Nathan called David out. David kind of, Nathan sort of found out what David did and he calls him out. And so on Wednesday, we're going to read about that. And then on Thursday, we're going to jump into and going to read David's prayer of repentance. His prayer of sorry um, after he got found out by Nathan. And then on Friday, on Friday, what we're going to do is we're going to jump into, into um, Jesus' best mate's account of his life. And we're going to look at the way that Jesus responds to a woman who is caught in adultery. The very same thing that David was caught in. And so you're going to get a little bit of like the Old Testament law, you're going to get a little bit of the story, you're going to get a little bit of poetry in Psalms, and then you're going to get a little bit of the biography of Jesus' life if you track along with us for this week. And just in, just in case you're an overachiever, in case you kind of like want extra credit points, not that we check homework, um, but in case you want extra credit points, here's, here's a prayer I want to encourage you, if you're kind of up to it, to pray as you read through those verses this week. And the prayer is simply this. God, I want to see as you see and respond how you would have me respond. God, God, as I read this library of books, help me to see the world and help me to view people the way that you view them. Help me to get the lens and the, that you see the world through. And then don't help me just to see it, but help me to move towards it. Help me to respond the way you would have me respond in that situation. And then come back next week for part three because we're going to continue the conversation. I'd love to pray for us as the band comes out. Jesus, picking up the Bible and reading it can, can seem so challenging. It's confusing and it's old and it can, can seem like it, we need a history degree to begin to understand it. But I pray that, that we wouldn't miss the story of redemption that flows through it. I pray that we wouldn't miss you in it all. And so I, I pray that this week, that, it, that even if there are people in this room who, who aren't followers of Jesus or who push back against it, that they would just begin to open it up and read it. For, for no other reason than reading it will just simply make their life better. And it will make them better at life. And Lord, for those of us who would say we're followers of Jesus, maybe, maybe we've been struggling to read the Bible. Maybe we have not sure how to approach it and we've been too afraid to ask a question. I pray that this week might be the first time that we reopen it in a long time and that we would begin to discover once again who you are, how you see the world, and how you would have us respond. And we pray this in Jesus' name.
Amen.